Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, since this is Vision Sunday, let's go ahead and look at what is arguably the most famous verse in the Bible regarding vision. It's found in Proverbs chapter 29. Solomon wrote it, the wisest man who ever lived, the Bible says. So let's read it. I'm going to read it first in the Old English translation, which is the King James, and then we're going to read it in the NIV. Proverbs 29, 18. Solomon says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Okay, well, what exactly does that, does that mean? I mean, that means a lot of different things. Well, let's read it in the NIV. The NIV says, where there is no revelation, revelation being just the recognition of, of the work of God in your life, where there's no revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, if you can't see the large picture of God's work in your life, you'll never know what to do with your life. That's what he's saying there. You'll never know what to do. The word for vision is the Hebrew word, the English transliteration is K-H-A-W-Z-O-N-E, kazon, not calzone. I know we're getting close to lunch. It's not calzone, but kazon. The word means a dream, revelation, or vision for life. Now, here's the thing. Most people have no idea how important vision is for their life. I didn't for the longest time. In fact, most people find out the hard way by having no vision, by casting off restraint, and then dealing with the consequences of living a life with no direction and no limits. You know, I mentioned last week how in, in, in our wrestling with some of the issues, some of the tough stuff of life, that sometimes the problem's not the problem. It, it, it's where the problem is leading you. It's the unknown. It's the uncertainty. It, it's that lack of vision and clarity that's, that's creating that unsettling angst and tension that you're experiencing. So I want to look at one more translation. It's actually a paraphrase of our verse, Proverbs 29, 18. And this is the message paraphrase. And listen to this. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. See that? Not just blessed, most blessed. Any takers? Anyone want to live a most blessed life? Two of you want to live a, a most blessed life. No, hey, hey, part of my job, listen, part of my job as your pastor is to help you recognize what God's doing in your life so that you can live a not just blessed, but a most blessed life. So how do we get there? How do we get there from here? Right? Because, because look, everyone's going in a direction, some direction. Everybody's doing something. But is it the right thing? Is it the right direction? A lot of people think they're doing the right thing, and then something happens, and then they realize, man, this wasn't the right thing at all. Or, man, I, I, this is not the direction that I need to be going at all. 2004 Summer Olympics was, uh, was a special Olympic year because uh, it actually took place in the birthplace of the Olympic Games, Athens, Greece. And in those Summer Olympics, one of the uh, events where America... Uh, has done particularly well over the years, not just in that particularly, uh, not that particular uh, Summer Olympic, but over the course of time. One area that the uh, Americans have done very well in is uh, rifle shooting, right? Yeah, who would have thought? Rifle shooting. Uh, in fact, that particular year, 
the U.S. was considered the heavy favorite for the gold medal in rifle shooting because of a guy by the name of Matthew Emmons. Matthew Emmons. Matthew was considered the best in the world. In fact, everyone had already conceded the gold to him, so they pretty much figured everyone else is, is playing for the silver and the bronze, right? So I got to tell you, though, full disclosure, when, when I see the Olympic schedule come out, uh, you know, all the different events and when they're going to be showing them, uh, rifle shooting isn't one of those Olympic events that I circle as must-watch TV. I just never got into that. But, uh, but I was intrigued. I was intrigued by the discipline it takes to make it to that platform of, of competition. Olympic rifle shooting isn't as easy as you might think. They shoot at a target that's about 50 feet, 15 meters away, from three different positions, uh, kneeling, lying down, and then standing. But the, the fascinating thing to me, the thing that really stood out to me was because of, the, because of the delicate movement of the rifle when you squeeze the trigger, the best Olympic rifle shooters have the ability, they, they teach themselves to do this, to slow their heart rate down, and then they'll squeeze the trigger between heartbeats. Isn't that interesting? Right? So by the time they got to the end of the competition, Matthew Emmons is so far ahead of everyone else, all he had to do was hit the target. Didn't even have to hit the bullseye. Seriously, all he had to do was hit the target, and he was going to get the gold. So he gets set, slows his heart rate down, locks in on the target, focuses on the bullseye, slows his heart rate down, and squeezes that trigger and hits the bullseye. On the wrong target. On the wrong target. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the heavy favorite for the gold medal in the rifle shooting at the 2004 Olympics, in an instant, dropped from gold to bronze. Just like that. But it was this look on his face, right after he realized what happened, that he had to hit the... It's this look. Look at that. Look at that. What? What? Can you imagine on the biggest stage possible realizing that you hit the wrong target? The right shot hitting the wrong target will never win you a gold medal in the same way. Listen, in the same way a person living with no vision, no sense of direction will not accomplish the purpose for which they were born. The more clearly you see what God's doing in your life, the better prepared you are to aim your life in the right direction. Because it's not enough just to hit the target. You need to hit the right target. So question, what's your target? What's your target? What, what, are, you, what are you aiming at? What are you aiming at? You know, sadly, because of what I do, I get a front row seat to see that look on too many people's faces, too many people's faces, people who thought they were going in the right direction and then something, something happened and they didn't realize that they were aiming at the wrong target all along. People who thought their marriage was fine, then he comes home from work one day and finds this note from his wife, I just can't do this anymore, I'm gone. And then I get the phone call and I go over and I sit across a chair from a guy who's got that look on his face. What, what happened? I can't believe what just happened. 
or she comes home from work one day, finds out her husband found his soulmate, and then the wife has that bewildered look. What? What, what, what just happened here? I thought we had something. What, what's going on? People who thought they knew what career they wanted to pursue, and now they feel stuck, dissatisfied, and unhappy in their career choice. I've seen that look on frustrated parents' faces. I, I don't understand, Pastor. We, we thought we were doing the right... I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. Only here, there's much more at stake. Here, it's not a gold or silver or bronze medal that's at stake. It's your life. It's your hopes. It's your dreams. The great evangelist D.L. Moody once said this. He said, don't be afraid to fail. Be afraid to succeed at something that ultimately really doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter if you hit the bullseye, if it's the wrong target. Everyone ends up somewhere, right? Everyone's going to hit something because we're all aiming at something, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. So my goal this morning is twofold. First, to help show you the right target and then help motivate you to start aiming for the right target. In full disclosure, I got to tell you what I'm going to share with you. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. It's what we've, we've been talking about for the last few years. I, I'm just going to use a little bit different language this morning because I don't want your familiarity with these things to cause them to be white noise when I mention them because these are mission critical. So listen with fresh ears as I go over our mission and the growth track that we use to accomplish that mission at Family Church. Make sure that you're aiming at the right target. Our goal, our mission, why we exist is to be the easiest place for people to experience the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Then, having experienced that love and that forgiveness, we want, we want to help people take their next step of faith because everyone has a next step. Everyone has a next step. Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with God. Everyone has a next step. Here at Family Church, we break those steps down into four things. Give your life to Jesus, which is no God. Be made new by Jesus, which is find freedom. Become like Jesus, which is discover your purpose. And then do what Jesus did, which is make a difference. That's our growth track. So give your life to Jesus. I don't know what you think Christianity is or being a Christian is, but I can tell you what it's not. It's not attending family church. It's not even singing praise and worship to him. It's not tithing. It's not giving in the offering. It's, it's, not, it's not even believing in Jesus. Being a Christian is best summed up in a single word, and that word is follow. Follow. When you read the, the Gospels, the four different accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that time and time again, Jesus called people to not believe in him, but to follow him. He said, follow me. And, and I know it might seem like a small distinction, but it's really not. Because to follow Jesus means you have to surrender to him. So let's read one of those references out of Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called to, about Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, now I want you to notice already, Jesus had a large group of people around him. Jesus had a large, large enough for Mark to call them a crowd. He referred to them as a crowd, right? But, but Jesus wasn't content for people to just listen to what he had to say. He, he knew what we need to know, 
which is life change comes in the following, not the listening, not just the listening. People can listen to Jesus' teaching all day, and many did, in fact, and walked away unchanged. The change comes in the doing, in the following him, which is why he went on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then he expounds a little bit more on the depth of that commitment needed to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Watch closely these next three verses, because he takes the cost of discipleship a little bit deeper with each verse. Verse 35, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the sake of the gospel will save it. But he doesn't stop there. He take, Jesus takes us even deeper, more commitment. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You got what you were aiming for? You got the dream home? You got the wife, the husband you wanted? You got the family? You got the pickup, you got everything that you wanted, but there's still an emptiness. There's still an emptiness in your life, a void. So what good is it? That's what he's asking. What good is it if you hit the target, but it's the wrong target? All right. Verse 37, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? But he doesn't stop there. I feel like an infomercial. But wait, there's more. Because he does. He takes it even deeper, a deeper level of commitment. Verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So when you look back over those four or five verses in this passage, you'll notice the incremental steps Jesus used to illustrate discipleship. And this process can be summed up in two words. Two steps that you need to take if you haven't yet. And the first word is this, surrender. Surrender. Surrender your life to his will and his ways. See, this is the essence of salvation. Just surrendering your life to God and his will and his ways. Psalm 37 verse 7 says, surrender yourself to the Lord and wait patiently for him. And folks, surrender is, is, is exactly that. When you surrender, it's, it's coming to Jesus saying, I, I'm sorry, God, I, I tried doing it my way and I can't, so... I'm yours. I'm just, I'm just giving my life to you. It's relinquishing, submitting, deferring to him. It's coming to Jesus with your hands raised, as it were, and saying, I give up, God. I surrender to you. So what's that look like for you? What does that surrender look like, practically speaking, for you? It means you're going to start looking to God and his word to direct your life. It means you're not going to care anymore what other people think or say but determining to live your life according to God's plan and purpose, not your plan and purpose. Surrender. And then the other, the other word, I guess it would be two words, spend time. Spend time with him every day. In other words, don't just be one in the crowd. Don't be one out there on the crowd. You're listening to what he has to say, but, but you haven't really started following him. Don't just listen to what Jesus has to say. Surrender to him and spend time with him. Follow him. Some of you are still on the outskirts. You're in the crowd. You've been listening to what he says, but you haven't really started following him yet. If that's you, then this is your next step. That's your next step to surrender. Then after surrendering your life to Jesus, the next step is to be made new by Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Be made new by Jesus. Even though Jesus forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all of the sin from our past, still we, we all have some residues, some baggage from our past that even though it's been forgiven, its impact still affects us. 
and still it cause us to struggle in our, in our relationship with him. You're going to heaven. These aren't deals. If you've confessed them, then they're forgiven, and you're going to heaven, right? But you still have some bad attitudes, some bad thoughts, some bad habits, things that, that, that don't always automatically go away when you surrender your life to Jesus. And, and this fallout, this residue, this baggage can be summed up in four words. Past, pain, problems, and people. <laughs> Past, pain, problems, and people. And if you're still having a hard time figuring out what this is for you, let, let me help you dial it in here. It's the thing in your life that your life would be better if it weren't there. Let me say that again. It's the thing in your life that if that thing weren't there, your life would be better. We call it find freedom here at Family Church. And the best way to be made new by Jesus is by hanging out with other people who are aiming for that same target of being made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't ever underestimate the power of friendship and fellowship when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to church. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, a mirror reflects a man's face, but what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. Right? You've heard that saying, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Again, this is why we promote growth groups so heavily. You need the support and, and the accountability of, of sharing your spiritual journey with others. God didn't make us dependent on each other, but he did make us interdependent on each other. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. And your body has different parts that have different functions. That's the body of Christ. So, Third point, give your, give your life to Jesus. Be made new by Jesus. The third step in this, this process is become like Jesus. The church language used to describe this third step is the word discipleship. You probably heard that word, discipleship. In his letter to the church at Galatia, the Apostle Paul's writing to this group of people, not the crowd, he's talking about the, the ones in the inside, that you know the ones that aren't just listening but have been following him. So he's writing to, to, to the disciples, those that are seeking to follow him. And, and he's talking about his desire to see them continue to grow spiritually, to see them uh, become more like Jesus. And this is what he says in Galatians 4.19. Oh, my dear children, you can, you can feel the passion as he's saying this. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. So what about you? What about you? What part of your life doesn't look like Jesus? Right? More importantly, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Are you giving place to the Holy Spirit to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, fully develop the person of Jesus in you, the, fully per the person of Christ? This is why we're constantly encouraging you to take the next class and get plugged into one of our dream teams and begin serving in some capacity. Not so much because the dream team needs you, but because serving on the dream team will help you become more like Jesus. That's why we promote that and encourage that so much. Give your life to Jesus. Allow him to make you new. Become like Jesus. And then the fourth step in the growth track is do what Jesus did. Just do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? What did he do? He reached lost people, right? The focus of his life from the moment he got up till the moment he went to bed every night, his focus was on the lost, those who were far from God. That's why Jesus challenged those who were serious about following him to take this next step, 
in Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 19. Then he said to them, follow me. Not, he didn't say believe in me. No, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, the power of that statement isn't in the fishers of men. We, you know, we get sidetracked by that because it's kind of a catchy phrase. No, no, no. The power in that statement is in the I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. In other words, our role is simply to surrender and follow him. We do what we can do and trust him to do what only he can do. Verse 20, Matthew 4. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So what did Jesus do? What did he do? He fished. He fished. Why? Because followers fish. Part of your spiritual growth, part of becoming more like Jesus, is by fishing, by reaching out to people, inviting someone who is far from God or who used to go to church to come to church or come back to church. The truth is, you think about this, you, me, pretty much everyone sitting in here today, we're here because someone went fishing for us. Right? Someone invited us. Right? Someone reached out to us. And honestly, fishing for people is more like regular fishing than you might realize. Those of you who do a lot of fishing, sometimes, look, you know that sometimes it takes some patience and persistence to catch fish, right? I prayed to receive Christ when I was in fourth grade. It was a genuine, powerful experience. I knew God had touched me and done something inside of me. God met me in a powerful way. But not long after that, <clears throat> my world was turned upside down when my parents separated and eventually divorced. Really, uh, really rocked my world. I didn't realize it at the time how much it, but it, it, it really did a number on me. But even after the divorce, I remember distinctly praying, asking God to bring my parents back together again which didn't happen. So I figured, if God didn't care, then I don't care anymore either. Now, obviously, where I'm at today, I realize how unfair of a prayer that was. But honestly, how else is a fourth grader going to pray? Right? How else is a fourth grader going to pray about something like that? So, for the next decade... I just pretty much ignored God and lived for myself. But fortunately, I had someone fishing for me. My sister, who had become a Christian, she had become a Jesus follower. And what do Jesus followers do? They fish. They fish. So she started fishing for me. And for the next couple of years, my sister would call me every Sunday and invite me to go to church with her. And when I say every Sunday, people, I'm, I mean every Sunday. Every Sunday. She'd call. And, I, and I'd have some lame excuse, seriously, why, why I couldn't go with her. Because even though I could tell my, my life wasn't where I wanted it to be, I, I, wasn't really, I wasn't ready to surrender completely to God. Next Sunday would roll around, get that phone call. Would you like to go to church with me? Nah. Got Gilligan's Island reruns on tonight or something like that. Next Sunday, get that phone call. But here's the thing. 
She, she, didn't, she didn't just fish for me. She prayed. She prayed. And because she was praying, God began to orchestrate the events in my life in a way that, that began to reveal my, my emptiness, my brokenness, the futility. I kind of like the prodigal son. I, kinda, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm in a pig pen hanging out with the pigs. Um, that's kind of where my life was at at that point. So uh, I did. I, I, I came back to the Lord and uh, surrendered my heart to him again. And uh, that following Sunday, just like clockwork, get that phone call. Invited me to church. Um, sure, I'll go. Hello, are you there? You think about that, two years. Two years. So I went to church with her. She was going to the mustard seed at the time. Met some guys that encouraged me in my walk with God, and I never looked back. Folks, don't ever give up. Keep fishing and keep praying. Keep fishing and keep praying. Because you never know when that, they, it, might be that next, it might be that next cast. You fishermen know that, man. You just know. That's why you're out there for two hours beyond. I'm going to go home. Two hours later, you're, no, no, no. I just know the next cast, right? Debbie McCullough, who helps lead our grief share ministry on Monday evenings, once she came to the Lord, started following his plan and purpose, she, she, didn't just, she didn't just start following Jesus. Because what, what do followers do? They fish. So Debbie went fishing. And she went fishing, and she caught Cassidy. Cassidy Smart. And Cassidy started coming to family church. And you know what? Cassie didn't, you know, Cassie's a follower at that point. And so what, what do followers do? They fish. And so Cassie began to fish. And she caught, or Cassidy began, and she caught Cassie, and she caught Sheena, and, and, and then Cassie and, and, and Sheena, they started fishing. You see how this works? This is a beautiful, I mean, you think about that. Man, that was a beautiful illustration of being fishers of men. This is how this works. The point being, followers fish. And I'm not so sure that there, there, was, a, there was a time in family church when 90% of the people from Baldwin that were coming were coming because Cassidy started fishing. Seriously. Because Cassidy realized that followers fish. Followers fish. So start fishing. Start inviting people to church. Bribe them if you have to. Tell them you'll take them out for lunch afterwards. Tell them they can sit with you. And then pray, pray, pray. Because I'm telling you, when you invite an unsaved person or someone who's far from God to come sit with you at church, you're going to view church completely different that morning. Church is going to matter to you that morning like it hasn't in a long time, right? You want that first impressions team, you want that first impressions dream team to be on point so that when your friend shows up, that they're going to get a, a smile and a handshake or a hug, right? And if, and if your friend has kids, you want the family kids dream team to be on point so your kids are going to have a good time at church, right? And then you want, you want the people serving the coffee to be on point so that they can serve the people that you invited, right? And you want the worship to be on point that morning. You want Sam to sing all your favorite songs that morning, right? Because your friend sitting next to you, right, it makes a difference. It makes a difference, right?
And then also, you want the sermon to be good, right? I know that because you tell me. <laughs> Brought my coworker today. Pastor, you better bring it. Hey, Pastor, come here. I just want to let you know we invited our neighbors, so make it a good one this morning. For the record, okay, for the record, my goal is to bring it and make it a good one every week. Okay, just, just let you know that. I, I know it doesn't always happen, so pray for me, but my, my, I'm just letting you know my goal is to make it a good one every week. So followers fish. Followers fish. And honestly, we have made this easy for you with this next series coming up starting this Saturday evening called At the Movies. This is a completely different way of doing church. It's unique and it's designed to feed you and help you become more like Jesus, but it's also designed to reach people who are far from God. And I guarantee you this, if you'll go fishing and you'll invite people to our At The Movie series, it will be a church experience unlike anything that they've ever experienced before. And you can tell them that. You can tell them. I, you got to come to church because this is, this is church like you've never seen it before. Right? So we made it easy for you with this At The Movie series. And we're going to supply your tackle box. We're giving you some lures. That's what those invite cards on your seat are. So take those lures with you. If you're going to take, give them out on the Halloween, take a big stack of them, right? Take a big stack of them. That's what those invite cards are for. Start handing those puppies out because, because followers fish. But followers don't just fish. Followers also serve. Followers serve. I mentioned Cassidy and Sheena. Cassidy doesn't just fish. She serves on our Family Kids Dream Team as well. Sheena doesn't just fish. She serves back there in the Family Kids Dream Team. She also hosts a Bible study at her house over in Baldwin. Followers serve. But not only have we made fishing easier for you with our the Movie series and the invite cards, we've also made serving easy for you as well because when we launch Family Church in Baldwin on February 18th, we're asking if some of our, our Wellsville people would pray about serving for a short season at Family Church Baldwin City Campus. Why? Why? Because this, this is going to be a brand new launch. This is a brand new church. We're starting from scratch. And, and the goal is to replicate in Baldwin what we're doing here in Wellsville. But replicating what we do here includes establishing our, our culture, our, our, for lack of a better term, our spiritual DNA, if you will. So if you're a Jesus follower... Jesus followers fish, and Jesus followers serve. So I, I want you to pray about serving at Family Church in Baldwin for a short season of your life, maybe two to three months, whatever the Lord would lead you to do. In fact, if that's something you feel like God's nudging you to do, right after the service. There's actually going to be a Baldwin launch team meeting right back here in, in, in the fellowship home. So if that's something that you think God's leading you, if you want to hang around for that, then I encourage you to do that. You will never experience the abundant life Jesus offers you until you learn to live for something beyond you. And the best way to live for something beyond you is by serving others. Serving others. Because you're never more like Jesus. Listen, you're never more like Jesus than when you're fishing for men and serving others. 
This is, this is important. This is mission critical. Because as your pastor, I don't want to see this look on your face anymore. I don't want to see that look on your face. Right? And I know you don't want to see it either. And as long as you're able to see the bullseye on the right target, then you won't have that look on your face. Give your life to Jesus. Know God. Let Jesus make you new. Find freedom. Become like Jesus. Discover purpose. Do what Jesus did. Make a difference. Begin fishing and serving. And watch God start moving in your life, restoring your joy and passion for him, and building a legacy that will outlast you. You believe that? Bow your heads. Let me pray for you. Father, I do thank you for vision. Thank you that we don't have to wonder, wander and wander through life aimlessly. But we can with a sense of purpose and direction help us understand that we were made on purpose for a purpose. And for those here this morning who've been aiming at the wrong target, give them clear vision of not just the right target, but the bullseye on the right target. And as people begin to move towards that, that bullseye, bring clarity and purpose to their life. And for any here today who don't know you or maybe are far from you, I pray that they might come to know you. If there are there, those here today that, that are in the crowd, they, they, they've been listening to you, Jesus, but they really haven't started following you. But now they want to be a follower. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a a prayer where you can surrender your, your life to Jesus and let him fill that void, that emptiness in your life. If you would just whisper this prayer after me. There's nothing magic in the words. It's just believing in your heart what you're about to pray. So if you would just say, Jesus, I surrender my broken and messed up life to you. I give you everything. Forgive me of my sins. And as I turn my life over to you, Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God, that you died for me, that you were buried and you rose from the dead. And right now, I put my faith in you. So thank you for saving me and setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen.